Nice. Uh, well, we're um, excited today to have Gabe Gibbs with us. Thank you for joining us, Gabe. No worries. Thank you for having me. I uh, appreciate you guys. Tell us a little bit about where you, where you grew up, where you got started, and how basketball kind of got into your life. Um, I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, and um, the basketball originally started from we had a friend um, around the corner from our neighborhood who passed away, and their parents no longer wanted their, their basketball hoop. So they, they knew my mother, a single mother, of four uh, could use it and she you know was uh, grateful that they gave it to her and we put that that stand-up NBA hoop in our backyard and that's really where it started for for us having um like basketball involved in our childhood that's fantastic what a great that's uh, you know it's funny I'm doing these interviews and everybody's story has like these these moments that kind of just kind of get everything going so you yeah. started how old are you at that time we could have been maybe, I don't know, 10, 11, maybe 12. Okay. So when did, when did organized basketball get going for you? Organized basketball. See, the first organized basketball, um, I guess, uh, league or anything that I played in was with the police league of Detroit. It was a, a buoy league. And um, they put a community program into the neighborhood. Each team was coached by a police officer. And uh, I think that was the bridge and gap between – you know, law enforcement and inner city, you know, youth and things like that. Um, I wasn't the best. I mean, I, I don't really consider that my first, but that was um, the first opportunity I had at playing basketball and um, being able to, you know, have a group to commit to weekly. Um, outside of that, it, it moved on into middle school, which I didn't make the team. Give me one second. No, no, we like the kids. Hey, the kids are all good. Oh, all yeah. right. you, your girl's bum bum is showing all in the video. <laughs> <laughs> and they're bathing suits, and they want to they wanna pretend that they're going swimming. Yeah, well, thank you. I, I could do some swimming right now. Anyway, so so you get going, the middle school. Talk about middle school. Yeah, middle school going, um, my brother My brother is, he is the, the star of the, the basketball team. He's like the star of the, of us. He's he's the top, you know, Drew was the, the top basketball player. And um, in middle school, you can't play until grade seven. So I try out, I didn't make the team. Uh, the team was too stacked. Like it was no, I don't even think I even went to tryouts, you know, in grade seven, you know, it was just too stacked. Grade eight, you know, those bigger guys, they left. I felt like I had an opportunity. And uh, I, I thought I was pretty good, but I, I still didn't make the team. And, and um, so I didn't get to play middle school ball. Um, I was pretty passive at that age. Um, moving forward into grade nine, um, there was a, a junior varsity team, and I tried out for that. And I made that team. I was one of the only two grade nines on the team. Uh, I scored two points that season, and those were free throws. Okay. So didn't really have much of a um, really an opportunity to sort of like to grow in game until senior year. I didn't really play varsity basketball until grade 12. Um, didn't make the team in grade 11. Team was too stat. And um, I, I still stuck around the practice because my brother played on the team. And um, later in the, I believe it was like the grade 11 of my season, there was an opportunity where a player quit. And the coach knew that I was um, 
you know, keen and interested. And I, I sort of knew some of the plays in offense because I was always at practice. And uh, before the game, it was about, I think, three games before the season ended. And he, you know, surprised me in the locker room because I carried the, the, the jersey bags for the team. He said, uh, Gabe, you're suiting up. And he threw me a jersey, number 50. And uh, I played that game. And that was like my first senior game. But it was like towards the end of grade 11. Yeah. And um, that's really organized basketball, I would say, started grade 12 for me. Okay. So you get going to grade 12. How's that season go? What's it like? Season's good. You know, I'm one of the, the, the better rebounders, one of the, the better defenders. Um, we have a really good starting five. Like our team was pretty mature because the majority of the guys have been playing varsity since grade 10 already. So they already knew. I, I'm the newcomer, so to speak, as far as like my first year on varsity. Um, we did really good that year. We were um, picked to go to like the States. Um, there was a, a lot of a big matchup between us and Flint Beecher. And we never got to make that uh, that championship run. It was we beat a couple teams out and I believe a couple teams that were pretty upset with their loss. They wanted to follow a claim or an appeal, something to the fact that one of our players was ineligible based on his age because he transferred over, you know, two years ago, et cetera. And basically the timing of that, you know, we never really got the chance to uh, per- participate in the championship. So we were disqualified after that on our okay. senior year. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. It was fun. brutal. So you yeah. finished, you finished high school and what, what ends up going on from there? Well, I, I was really interested in going to school just for academics. Like, um, I wanted to go to Michigan State. I wanted to go to Kentucky. And there was a – I felt my grades were good enough that I could apply to anywhere that I wanted to and uh, attend that school. So I didn't have any initial thoughts right out of high school to, to play basketball in college. Because, one, I didn't really believe I was ready to play college. Um, so there was a couple gentlemen that when we were playing the summer that would tell me about a, a junior college and I had no idea about junior college. I didn't know what a junior college was. So I really went through one ear and out the other. I, um, fast forward, I get accepted to Michigan State. I get accepted to Gabe, there. Michigan to go Sorry. to. Yep. We cut out there. Okay. okay, we cut out there. So you got accepted to Michigan okay. State, and then you got accepted to Kentucky. Yep, Kentucky State, and then Eastern Michigan. A lot of my friends were going to Eastern Michigan, so I went to Eastern Michigan, and for academics, um, I, I went there. I played. I played basketball recreationally inside the the school. It was a Real good school. It was really active on the, the rec side of things, like the, the gym. I think the gymnasium and, like, the rec hours at Eastern Michigan is really what helped me develop. Um, I had no intentions on playing for a team, so I was able to freely just play without any pressure, without any, you know, coaching, and without any, you know, reprimanding for any mistakes, you know, besides the players on my team or – that I didn't know would maybe get mad if I did something, but that rarely happened, you know. Um, 
but the the competition in there was so elite like at the top the highest level it was guys that that played that did play university ball and then they stopped and they're just like graduate students the football players on the team would come in and play these were two sport athletes and there were guys in there that were you know prospects however their grades were too low to participate on the team so they could never really be officially on the team but they would you know use this gym as a um as an outlet so trials go for eastern michigan i'm like oh maybe i should try out for this team you know i think i'm good uh, whatever try out nothing happens the coach you know he he i don't think he even had any intentions on selecting anyone because it was his last year um i believe it was coach boone it was his last year at the university so i don't think he really had any intentions on picking up anyone anyway fast forward um, i'm in my going into my sophomore year and i stay on campus because at that time i didn't necessarily have anywhere home to go back to you know um if i rewind a little bit from grade 10 all the way through 12 i, I stay with friends like i i stay with my uh, classmate in grade 10 and i believe in grade 11 i believe i would stay with my brother's classmate like we have real good friends where we would just stay so fast moving back into sophomore year when that summer came typically students go home and then they you know stay home for the summer i didn't have any intentions on that so i i stayed on campus and the team members the basketball team members also stayed on campus and what i would do is they would have some open runs and since i was close with some of the guys they invited me a couple of times just because they needed a few extra bodies and all of the teammates weren't there and i did that for the, the majority of the um summer of the off season built a relationship and a rapport with the assistant coach and some of the players and it was looking based on the my development and based on how comfortable i was with playing with you know the talent that I was going to be a preferred or a walk on, so to speak, because I still had to go to the tryouts and walk on. Um, I do that. And the coach at the time had a rule for appearance. And then the appearance was you couldn't have any braids or long hair. You, you just couldn't have any of that that needed to be cut. And at the time I had braids, you know, and that was that. So I said, hey, I'll cut my hair if you let me know that I'm on a team. I'm just not going to cut it right off to the bat. And then next thing you know, you say, oh, yeah, we already took a team. You didn't make it. So then I would feel I would feel like a little bit jaded if that happened. So I never cut my braids and um, I, I, I never got a call back, you know, from there. That's okay. sophomore year. So then what happened? So you, so you finished that up? You know, obviously that that's an un, unfortunate circumstance that happened there. But you know, I think as as most successful people, you, you kind of got to roll with the punches. So that doesn't work. What happens next? What happens next is you know I finish school. Um, the the off season is coming again. Yeah, I'll text you. Um, one second. Give me one second. No problem. We well, I don't, so, uh, we're good. Don't worry about it.
Okay. All right, I'm back. All right. So what happens next? Um, moving forward into the end of that year, me and a friend and his coach, his former high school coach, had workouts. This this coach was a guy who always ran workouts for the top players in the area, high school and college. And not only that, he had relationships with a lot of players in general and coaches. So he would run these workouts. His name was Coach Brooks. Coach Brooks would run these workouts for free, no charge, no anything. And then he would have the gun up. He would have drills assigned. He would have workouts. And we would just go and work out. And then after we work out, we would, we would scrimmage with the talent there. Sometimes you would have University of Michigan players there scrimmaging as well or working out with you. Um, during that summer, I worked out the entire time. And it's something weird I remember. I shot left hand for a part of the summer and I'm right-handed, but I, I, I wanted to challenge myself so crazy. I shot left hand for the entire, like half of the summer. And the coach Brooks said, if you're going to do that, you need to do that in these workouts and be consistent with it. I don't mind you switching, but don't go back. So I actually shot left hand for like half the summer. Odd fact, you know, weird fact, you know, <laughs> no, we'll take it. We'll take it. Um, after a workout one day, the there was coaches in the stands and Coach Brooks arranged the scrimmage to happen after the workout series. And then we would scrimmage and we scrimmage for about an hour and a half. After the scrimmage, two coaches approached me and my, my buddy Brandon and he asked us, he said, hey, what's your plans for next year? Um, do you know about JUCO? And I said, well, well, what is JUCO? And he said, it's a community college. And as soon as I heard community college, I, sh I shut him down. I said, no, my grades are good enough for university. I don't, I don't, I don't want, I'm not interested. Shut him down. It was very ignorant, ignorant and like inconsiderate, you know, of me at that time. It was really, really immature, I would say, because I had no idea, you know, about the benefits of junior college transferring situation and just the options outside of JUCO, right? So um, he said, well, I like what you, you have to offer, like you're, you're good, we'd be interested. I said, well, here, you can take my number, you know what I'm saying? But I really don't think it's gonna work out because like, I wanna go to university, my grades are good enough for university. With grades, skill, two different things, you know, I'm just really stuck on academics at this time. Hey, good problem to have, by the way. Yeah. So they call us, um, they get us down uh, for a visit. And this was in Toledo, Ohio. And um, long time ago, like in 2005, when I didn't make the first Eastern Michigan trials, I had a goal that in 2006, 2007 year, I was going to earn a scholarship to play basketball. And if that meant walking on for the year 2005, 2006 at Eastern Michigan, earn my stripes, and then the following year I get a scholarship. That was my goal, um, was to take that route. 2006, 2007, get a scholarship to play basketball. So that was the goal. Um, it didn't happen at Eastern Michigan, but I got offered the scholarship in Toledo, Ohio at the Owens Community College. And once I looked into and they educated me on like transfer and transcripts and like the grades that I already have from Eastern Michigan would transfer in. I would, I would have about 40 something credits 
I would be eligible to leave in the first year. You know, uh, I would be considered, you know, uh, a senior on the team, not just a, a freshman or a guy coming straight out of high school. I would have some season to me. So I took that scholarship because it, it aligned with the goal that I originally set for 2006, 2007. It just wasn't in the same city or the same school. But the goal was was met. And I got a scholarship to play ball at um, Toledo in Toledo at Owens Community College. Fantastic. So tell us about that experience. It's very, it's very cool. So, you know, one of, one of the things we, we, we see all the time is people set goals and then somehow you do one of these and then eventually you actually get to your goal, which is exactly what happened with you. So tell us about that. You meet your goal, you get on a team, you're getting a scholarship. Talk about what happens there. Well, you get your scholarship, you know, you, you got to move down to another state. You know, we don't have any, me and my buddy, we don't have any car, you know, um, a friend, a really good close friend at the time drove us down there and um, we moved all our stuff in, you know, basically the, the coaches and everyone helped us get situated with a, an apartment and housing and things like that. Um, you get down there, it's, it's not straight to business and straight to the gym, you know, right away, but you get acquainted with the team, you get acquainted with the coaches, and then you guys start practicing. You meet your players, you meet teammates from your city that you didn't know. We had three, two roommates. It was four of us in one apartment, and uh, two of the guys were from Michigan. So there was some synchrony, you know, we were able to at least relate in that, that matter because we were all from Michigan. Um, Real good season, like really good turnout. We have some real good players. Like uh, our our finish, our final record, I believe, was twenty six and seven, and I think it was twenty six and seven our, our final record that year, which was a real good season. Um, I enjoyed it. It was I played like the post, like a four or five. We had a lot of five out systems, but. I think it was one of the, the best experiences I've had, you know, just because they gave me an opportunity. They saw something in me and um, they were willing to give me a scholarship to, to play for them. If this scholarship, if this opportunity would have happened right out of high school, like me playing in front of these coaches, I don't think I would have gotten that scholarship. Right. I, I wasn't ready right out of high school. I didn't have, um, the the confidence I didn't have I wasn't comfortable I didn't have really any skill development right so um, those two years playing in Eastern Michigan just recreationally and playing with the the official basketball team in the summer like those team those team members that all helped like it factored all in you know what I mean so it happened at the time it was supposed to happen me getting a scholarship two years after high school was supposed to happen two years after high school. It's not a typical route. It's not a normal route. Most guys get scholarships right out of high school. That wasn't my case. You know, it, it take it took time to develop that opportunity. Well, you know what? It created a it created some perseverance in you, and it showed that you had some perseverance, and you could find a way to make it happen. At the end of the day, a lot of the best things never actually work the first time. So realistically mm -hmm. in life it's a it's a story that's that's what it should happen like that i mean it's mm -hmm. fantastic so you pull it off you end up playing there what happens after toledo for a year i got offered um from a couple other division two colleges and what they 
they wanted to offer me was a partial scholarship um, because I was eligible to leave right after the first year. Um, I didn't necessarily want to take the offers on the table because I felt that I was worth more. I felt that I could have got better offers. I felt um, I felt those offers weren't true to what I can actually give to a team or just, it wasn't my goal. I wanted a full scholarship, point blank and simple. And I knew I was worthy of it. So I turned it down. I turned down all of the offers. And what I decided to do was sit out the following semester or the following year, basically. And when everyone asked, what are you going to do for a year? I said, well, I'm going to take part-time credits so I don't burn any eligibility. And I'm going to train. And I'll also work out with the team from time to time. And they was like, well, how are you going to get a scholarship offer? I said, well, I'll go through the combines. I'll go through the, the, the tryouts in the off season. I'll go to the invitation things. I'll do the work required because I'm taking this step to sort of sit out a year anyway. So now I need to be prepared to do the, the back end road, you know, that's going to lead you into getting some exposure, or at least being seen by coaches. Um, I would go to the practice uh, at Owens and, you know, of course I would kick these guys, butt in practice, you know, you know, I had some, some veteran, you know, skills to me. And then the coaches would be so keen. They say, Gabe, man, you should, you should think about joining, you know, you got more eligibility. You should, you should join us. And, um, and I said, nah, I think I want to save my eligibility so I can get a right, you know, scholarship or go to a school and use it all there. The itch grew. And by second semester, I, they offered me, I told them that I was interested and then they, they gave me a full scholarship to join for the remaining part of the season. And, um, we went on to be undefeated. I think from my joining period to the end of the season, we didn't lose a game. I I got offered several scholarships after that, and I turned down a lot of them. Um, I turned down four scholarships, and it was a, between like Eastern Michigan and Ohio. There was a lot of um, similarities between these schools and coaches and certain experiences that I learned. And one school at Eastern Michigan said, you know, you can't play on the team unless you cut your hair. You know, fast forward to Ohio and getting offered by several schools. One of the um, schools really loved me and their biggest concern was my hair. And it was a, I think that school was like a $40,000 scholarship, you know, like yearly, that's what the school costs. And, um, and this is in West Virginia. So I say, yeah, you know, the thing is, I have to tell you is that your, um, your hair, you know, you're going to have to cut it. And then, and I, I was like, oh, my goodness, here we go again, you know, like another one. And I said, well, what's the reason behind that? You know, and the guy said, well, it was a student here a few years back. He, he stole some things, et cetera. And he, you know, and simple terms he looked like you and I was like wow you know like damn man like now yeah well you know no offense I said my job here is to hopefully open up those bleachers that you guys haven't opened and you know in several years and you know put some banners up there or at least you know win some games so that the city can come out and if the city or the community is 
is not willing to accept me for who I am without any prejudgment, anything like that, then this, this probably isn't um, school for me. And um, I said, I'll get back to you. I'll let you know. But he knew and I knew I wasn't going there. And um, the, the word got back out onto the market that I was still available and another school in that conference actually contacted me and um, they offered me. I didn't like the offer right out of the way. So I, I held off from signing and then the coach that called me and said, Hey, what's going on with the, with the offer? Do you, do you want to do it or not? I said, I said, the offer, it doesn't look good. And I said, I, I need, I need full scholarship basically because if I'm going out of state, I'm going to get charged certain tuition, you know, out of state resident fees, out of state tuition charges, et cetera. I need to be able to buy deodorant. I need to be able to, you know, live, you know, just a little bit, you know, so they thought about it and I think he came back with a with a full scholarship and I think it was around I signed so late it was probably the latest one could sign and it, you know it's kind of risky or like certain people live on that that edge where they ride the wave until the end you know and, and it's risky it's, it's sometimes it's 50 50 sometimes it's 70 30 you, you just don't know but what I what I knew was that I, I believed in myself 100% that it was worth it. So I didn't necessarily worry, but I did wait out to the longest and I felt that was the best decision and it worked out for me. I got a scholarship to a division two, Glenville State down in West Virginia, full scholarship. So you get that job, how's that season go down there? Season goes good. We um. We have a really good recruiting class. It, you know, the coach um, picked out a lot of guys that was transfers or like JUCO. It was a lot of maturity on the team. <clears throat> that year, our team finished with the highest record um, in Glenville State history in 37 years. So we had a 20-plus win season. I believe we were 22-10, and 10, uh, if I'm not mistaken. It was a 20-plus win season, and that school in history haven't had a 20 plus win season for the last 37 years so we get to the um i believe it was in a conference championships and we uh we lose i believe in the semifinals or like the to move on to the nationals but um real good season i enjoyed it every every bit of it it was home games home game crowd was great um travel travel games were great the competition was pretty good and um I enjoyed it. I, I got to play basketball and get education at the same time. Absolutely. Me and the coaches didn't necessarily always see eye to eye. But I mean, I didn't um I didn't start on the team. I was never a starter in junior college or in, you know, university. I was never a starter. I never started. It, I always came off the bench either six right away or seventh man and for me that worked for me i didn't mind i i actually enjoyed being the the spark that the uh, the team needed and then the coach trusted me enough to stay in the game longer than the guy who started in front of me so i didn't necessarily need to start to really develop um or at least prove you know that i was worthy of being in the game in crunch times or you know critical moments and things like that um, it's good, really good role, 
Um, the coach trusted me. Um, maybe not enough to start me for whatever reason that was. I, I, I can't really, I really won't know, but a lot of people on the outside felt the best players should start, and they felt that I was one of those best players. But, I mean, every coach has his own philosophy, and if if he feels or he doesn't want to break the chemistry between the starting group and you do better coming off of the bench and add in, then that's what it's going to be. And I was okay with that. I didn't have any egos about starting. I didn't need to start to show how good of a player I was. Fantastic. So how do we end up in Vancouver? So, how, how, How'd you end up in Vancouver? Well, one of those – yeah. I ended up in Vancouver because um, one of those persons from the outside that saw or thought that I should have been a starter, at least getting more minutes, was from Vancouver. They attended the school for one semester, and um, they approached me in class, and they said, I saw your game last night. You had a really good game. And I was like, oh, thank you. So, yeah, I'm, my name's Tanya. I'm from Vancouver, you know, I live on Vancouver, Canada. I'm just here to finish up my degree and things like that. Why don't your coach play you more? Is there a reason why you don't start? I said, I said, I don't know. It's, you know, big, I don't know, coach and player thing. <laughs> you know? So she said, well, I think you would be a really good fit in Canada. Like you would, you would blossom. Like you would be a big fish in a small pond. And I was like, well, what do you mean? So well, you, you're, you're you're bigger, you know, you're stronger, you got some skill. Some of the talent, I think, just in Vancouver in general in Canada, at that time, uh, I would be a, a big fish, you know, as um, far as my, my development and et cetera. So I was like, well, I'm interested more about that. And coach, you know, same Koenig. Gabe, it was breaking and up there. Gabe, was there? Up, it was breaking up there. So you okay. said, I'm interested. And then All what right. happened after that? She, um, she contacted her husband, who, have, who has a really good, you know, rapport in the, the basketball community in Vancouver, has, you know, helped players before, I think, coached with SFU and et cetera. So she told him about me. And when he came to the school at the time of graduation for his wife's graduation, he said he wanted to see me, wanted to work me out. And then basically see if, if all the, the talk was good enough and if we can, if they can help me do something in Canada, just for having more options, you know, um, I didn't really see the options that I wanted to see at the, at, at the school I was currently at, you know, with being held back between a relationship between player and coach, you know, so I always thought if I could get more exposure or more opportunity, then it would be aligned with my goals to play professional or at least have some post play after college. Um, they, Frank Koenig is um, her husband. Um, Frank Koenig is, you know, Canadian, he's from BC. He's uh, ran several programs in, in this area, BC's, BC's finest. You know, he's helped tons of players, you know, move on to college. They, that family was a family that really introduced me into Canada. And when he first saw me at the, at the school, he, he worked me out. 
you put me through a workout and said, I think you have some good skill. And what I'm going to do is I'll send out some emails to a few coaches that I know that I think would benefit from your, your play style and things like that. So I said, sure, whatever, you know, let me know. You know, I didn't really believe him because, yeah. you know, I've had a lot of, um, I guess, in my upbringing or like just, you know, being in, you know, in my inner city, you not a lot of promises were kept. So I didn't necessarily take it negative or positive. I just said, sure, whatever, let me know. But I didn't believe anything would come from it, you know. And um, about two to three days later, I got a really nice email mentioning my name. And it was very well put together. One of the best emails I've ever seen marketing me, you know, like, I mean, selling me as a player. I was like, whoa, I, I sound pretty damn good, you know. <laughs> and and I was like, whoa, like this doesn't mean. Yeah. You know, so they said, hey, we want to get you out there to Vancouver. Do you have a passport? I said, no, I don't have a passport. He said, okay, we'll get you a passport. And I said, oh, all right, I'll get a passport. He said, hey, I'm booking a flight. You know, we, we have some points and some things we can arrange to have a flight for you. And, you know, um, I didn't have any money, you know, to fly to Vancouver. I didn't have any of that. So, you know, God bless them. They get me to Vancouver, and this is the first time I've ever flown in my entire life was flying to Vancouver. You know, I was very hesitant. I didn't want to fly. I told them, book a train ticket or a bus ticket, you know, because uh, I just wasn't familiar with flying. And he said, he'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Click. And at that point, I was locked in. I couldn't back out or anything like that. So. I flew to Vancouver for a visit, and um, this is around August. I got to see Kits Fest. I got to see Douglas, you know, College, Capilano, UBC, UNBC. Uh, Simon Fraser at the time was still CIS, I believe. And um, it was a really good trip. Like, that's what introduced me to Vancouver. I got to work out and play at all of these colleges uh, during that summer period and basically express my interest that I want to transfer and I would like to see if, if I can play in Canada. And um, moving forward after that, they UBC coach, he said, well, right now it's a little bit too late, like going into the season, or like we're going into September. However, next year, you should probably consider it, and you should go back to school in West Virginia now finish getting your um, degree because there's no guarantee that the credits that you have will transfer over. And if you're only one year away from getting your bachelor's degree, you wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to sacrifice that. And they said it'd probably be best to just finish that out. You'll still have two years here to play basketball because of the five year rule. And um, I said, well, that, that works. I'll, you know, I'll go back down to West Virginia, finish out my degree and then uh, look to come back. But I actually chose UNBC. I didn't choose UBC. Okay. So you went to UNBC? No, I verbally committed to UNBC. And I said, listen, next year I'm coming back. I said, I can't commit this year because you already have your two American slots filled. However, I like this area. I want to commit to UNBC. It's small, it's country, it's, you know, 
hometown, real, real, real involved and everything like that. And um, I said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to come back in the spring and I'm going to start training and working out and then we'll, we'll continue from there. And um, finish school. I, I come back to Vancouver and I reach out to the coach and there's no response. There's no response. There's no response. There's no response. And I reach out to the coach several times. I didn't get any response back. And um, I asked for some assistance, like from Frank and, you know, a couple of others. I said, hey, can you help me reach this guy? You know, um, I'm trying to get in touch with him, let him know I'm in town. And the next steps that we need to do in order to, you know, go forward with the season. And they end up reaching back out and said, oh, my goodness, Gabe, I forgot. I forgot we already have our two Americans, you know, slots filled again with with guards. And I was just kind of – I was kind of bummed about that. I'm like, you have a returning guard, and then you recruit two American guards. I didn't understand that. Second, my mentality, my cocky mentality are like, you know, how do you forget the best player who wiped through your whole team on his workout? Like, <laughs> like literally, I think I had a very good situation when I went up there to work out and tried out was playing. I felt I was one of the best players there, and I was. And I was on a, a very injured ankle at the time. You know, I had painkillers. I was off of a, a injury that happened in June, and my ankle swelled up the size of a you know elephant's foot, and I was I was on crutches for eight weeks. You know, so coming off of that, and I was in a brace and everything like that, and still participate. Whatever it was, the, the recruiting and the, I guess the the mentality or like how the coaches like recruit outside and things like that. I guess it's just, it is what it is. And, you know, a few coaches told me and said, Gabe, well, the, some of the coaches here are active and some of them aren't. And, you know, that's just, you know, the, what we struggle with right here in Canada, Western Canada, sometimes is the recruiting, the responsibility or like coaches recruiting level isn't always, you know, how it is in the state. So it was a little bit unfamiliar for me to how he forgot. That's what he told me. Because in the States, you know, these coaches were calling me, you know, every week, are you ready to sign? Can you come for a visit? You know, they were, they were pretty active, I would say. So it didn't work out. And um, I basically went back home because I didn't necessarily want to go anywhere else. And I was just sort of turned off with that whole, you know, series, that whole situation. I, I said, Frank, I said, thank you. I said, I'm going to move back home to Detroit. And, um, yeah, that's that, you know, I, I'm good with where I left off, you know, I'll, I'll figure it out from here. Yeah. Just give and, me one uh, quick second. I, 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 I went back home. To... Go ahead. So fast, not fast forwarding, but you know, at that point I, I leave and I'm going back to Detroit and, um, the, the family, you know, Frank, they tell me, they say, listen, you're a really good kid. You know, I really think Vancouver is a good place for you. If you're ever interested in moving back, please let us know. And um, 
I said thanks, but you know, I'm probably I, I, I'm going back to Detroit. I'm not really interested anymore, you know, like that. So I left and um, I went back home and I moved to Ohio. You know, my former you know town where I played basketball at for the summer. Uh, wanted to hang out with my buddies, party. And just enjoy my summer, you know what I mean? And um, after about three or four months during that summer, I, I got homesick from a place that was never my home, and that was Vancouver. So I was like, I reached back out and I said, hey, I'm, I'm considering what you told me. What are some steps I can do now to sort of aid in that process of, you know, getting back out there, whether it's for college or um, just in general? And then um, they put me in touch with the right people to do that. And um, during that time, I was working in I was working at a uni, at a college, a college institution, as a financial aid. What was I? I was in I was in the verification process inside of the, fin, the financial aid office. Um, it was a really good job. Um, I was one of the youngest in the office. I got paid seventeen dollars an hour uh, every week. You know, I would have about. 540 bucks you know weekly you know so at during that time in my age and like in detroit and in michigan in general that 17 dollars an hour was a high number for like anyone coming in as a first you know thing i was making more than some of the individuals in the office who've been there for several years way before me but i believe it was due to me having my degree as well education um, pays man education pay so you know I, I was young i worked in detroit michigan i lived in ohio and i drove from monday to thursday i stayed in detroit and then from thursday to monday i stayed in ohio just because that was the work schedule and i wanted to live in ohio i wanted to enjoy my summer and my fall and that was that i had enough money to do so and that was that you know and i enjoyed it so I, I ended up realizing at some point in the office that there wasn't going to be any opportunity for me to grow more in that, in that workspace, or at least within that current job. And I reached out to, you know, started to my resources in Canada as far as to build the process on like moving to Vancouver and that was several months that took several months but um it ended up coming up and i put in my two-week notice at the um at the current job and a few people you know in my close circle questioned me why are you going to leave like such a good paying job you know what are you going to do over in canada you know do you have a job in canada already you know like what are you going to do it was just a lot of curiosity on like how are you going to do it because there was no immediate answers right away but the story of my life I, I truly believe that it would work out and um i put in a two-week notice and i left that job and i moved out to vancouver may 6 2012. so you remember the exact date so it was an important day so um, you came to vancouver may 6 2012 Funny thing is, uh, I just had a baby on May 6th. <laughs> That's literally oh, the day wow. my baby was born. So that's unbelievable. <laughs> what are the odds? 
Wow. So May 6, 2012, yeah. uh, fantastic day. We're gonna we're gonna like that day. So you mm -hmm. you go, you come to Vancouver. What's the plan here when you get here? What what do you end up doing? Well, the plan is, you know, um, I try to, you know, play college. You know, I have to get a, a little bit of more paperwork from my previous school as far as the eligibility and give that to these coaches or the schools that I'm interested in. It's such a tedious process. I mean, I, I went back and forth to Detroit so much. Um, it, it became tiring. And I was just, I gave up on that whole process and say, you know what, I'm done with that. I'm just going to focus on career work and just finding, you know, my place here in Vancouver and just working. Yeah, totally. So during the summers, during the summers, you know, I was helping out and, you know, volunteering some time with um, Simon Fraser University and their, their basketball camps. And I met Ron Artest during that summer uh, just because I seen online that he was in Vancouver via Twitter. So I tweeted Ron Artest on Twitter and I said, Hey, we got a good run tonight or we want to come to a run, like get some good comp. And then he said, where is it at? Is it any good competition? And he retweeted back. I couldn't believe it. And I said, yeah, some good competition. You know, at the time we was doing some runs and some workouts at, in Coquitlam at Centennial High School. And it was like on Wednesday and Sunday nights and pretty good comp came out. It was, it was good. Like during my time there in the summer, that's what we did. And in the fall, that's what we did. So I invited him out and he actually replied back. And then he came over to the run and we started playing basketball for about two hours. He was like, man, this is great. I didn't know this was here the entire time. And I'm filming a movie here. This like is good to know. Like, can you let me know when the next one is? Because I'm here for the whole summer filming this movie. And I say, yeah, I'll let you know. And he would work out. I think a few times with Doug Eberhardt, and then he would contact me and say, hey, I'm doing a workout. Can you invite a few guys so that we can scrimmage and play after? And that that became our relationship during the summer of 2012. Um, we would work out and train together and then scrimmage and that was really it and he i think he was really helpful at that because it was his off season for the most part it was how he maintained to stay in shape for the most part because he was filming the movie the entire time in vancouver for the summer and i was like man that was a really great summer fast forward you know to the next year or like coming towards spring uh, Ron reaches out to me and he asks me my plans for for the spring and summer. And I said, well, right now, I just really want to look for more work and I want to train and work out. And um, I don't know if that means I need to move, but I've had prior thoughts of moving and I just felt like LA was, um, Los Angeles was the place that I was going to move to. Um, Ron ended up, he basically said, okay, well, listen, uh, I could use a sports assistant, someone to help me work out and do some paperwork from time to time. And I said, oh, well, I'll help you. Um, just let me know when you're in Vancouver. And he said, actually, I need you in LA. So when can you get down here? <laughs> you know, so that was like a prayer answer, you know, um, 
I say, well, let me put in my two weeks notice, you know, to, you know, to the people I'm working with. And I said, before I do that, I like, I need a guarantee that this is real because I couldn't believe Ron Artest, you know, wants me to work for him. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's a big deal. Yeah. And I don't think Ron knows this, but he is one of our, me and my brother's favorite NBA players. It's Kobe Bryant, Ron Artest. Like those are our favorite players. And, you know, Ron Artest is one of my favorites because he resembles a lot of Rodman, you know, um, value, toughness, defensive, you know, uh, all of that. So when, when I said, listen, I need, Gabe, your internet's breaking up. Sorry, we, you, um, I don't know. Somewhere Gabe, between five hundred to fifty five hundred a month. Gabe, your internet's okay. breaking up. Go Is back, it better now? Go back a second. Yeah, just go back to um when he said, and then you were about to say how much he was going to pay you. Okay, so I said, listen, you got to give me some assurance, you know. Um, because I have a job and if I'm going to put in a two week notice, I need to know that it's, it's not, you know, for giggles or anything like that. This is my life and I just moved here, et cetera. And he said, okay, um, well, what are you looking to make? And I said, I don't know, but I know I would like to move up from where I'm at and be between 4,500 and 5,500 if possible. He said, okay, here, call Lou Taylor. She'll, um, she'll sort out the, your payment, your contract and et cetera. So I called Lou Taylor and I'm on the phone with Lou Taylor and she says, hi, um, I have a, a, a contract or like a agreement here from Ron. Uh, it says it's supposed to pay you $4,000 uh, a month. And I was like, um, I, I, we never really confirmed an amount, but uh, we spoke on, you know, paying it. And, I'm going to pause this right quick because at that time, I didn't necessarily know, is this a negotiation or, you know, should I be negotiating with Lou Taylor and trying to bargain? You know, I didn't, I didn't know if I should be negotiating or just accepting because this was an opportunity I considered of a lifetime and I didn't want to lose it. So I was really kind of like in a, in a limbo. I said, well, we didn't really confront, confirm any amounts. Uh, we, we spoke on something between 4,500 and 5,500. And then she said, okay, something doesn't seem right. Um, I'm going to call Ron. Uh, all right, I'll talk to you. Uh, I'll be back in touch. We will be back in touch. And she clicked, like hung up very quickly. And at that time, I felt that. I was like, damn it. I just lost this. I just lost this damn job. Like, it's a wrap, you know. <laughs> and... I immediately emailed her right away and said, hey, yeah, 4,000 sounds great. You know, amazing. Uh, what do we need me to do? What do you need me to sign? You know, just because I, I, I buckled. And um, I didn't want to lose that opportunity. So I, I sent that email right away. And God, I mean, thankful for God. I don't think she actually got it or read it because the call came back, I think, a couple of days later. And they were going to pay me. It ended up being more than four thousand, but less than five. So it ended up working out, and um, 
And I was like, oh, I guess it, it was a, a negotiation, sort of speak, but um, it worked out. And then Ron, I, I moved down to LA, May 24th. Okay, and, so what are you doing down there? The, the, what's happening? Well, that, that seems like a, a fun story. So tell me a fun story. Yeah, so May 24th, I moved down. I'm living in Hollywood temporarily for about two, three weeks before um before I move over towards uh, UCLA. I contact Ron, I say, hey, I'm in LA. Um, what do you need me to do? <laughs> you know? And he said, well, I'm in Vegas right now, so we'll be back on Monday. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so what I'm, I'm thinking. I wait on him, he get back on Monday. Um, I bike down to his place in West LA, and then it's about midnight, and there's a chef cooking steak and everything. He said, do you want some steak? And I said, sure, I have some steak. You know, and he said, do you want a drink? Sure, I have a drink, you know? And it was just so, it was a lifestyle that I never really like been exposed to. It was on a, it was on a rooftop, you know, patio, fires burning, you got the grill right there. The chef saying, how do you like your steak done? It was, it was, it was beautiful. We ate, we talked. And then he said, are you ready? And I say, yeah, we're, we're ready for what? He said, we're about to go to the gym. It's after 1 a.m. And I was like, oh, okay, well, let's go to, the, go to the gym. So I drive to the gym. I drove his car to the gym, which was the L.A. facility. And um, we worked out for about, I think, an hour, maybe two hours, about roughly two hours. And then it's about 3 a.m. and drove back. We ate some food. And then he said, uh, I'll see you um, tomorrow morning. I'm like, it already is morning. He said, well, well, a little bit later, like come by around like 11 so we can do our other workout and things like that. So that was the, um, that was the, the lifestyle. Like there was a lot of late, late night workouts, early morning workouts. We work about three times a day. And um, we often worked out at the, the Lakers facility. And there's a few times we would get there in the morning around eight or seven. And I always had this dream of like, hopefully like seeing Kobe Bryant at some point in time. And um, you see the sign-in sheet when you go into the Laker facility and you'll see who's signing in and who's working out or what guests they're bringing in, et cetera. And you'll see Kobe's, Kobe's name or Kobe's guest, 4 a.m. So Kobe was in, in the gym from the records that I look at. He would be in the gym probably 3 o'clock, 3.30, you know, finishing up his workout around 6, 6.30, maybe, and then leaving well before we even got there. It was, it was only one time I think I saw the back of Kobe's head, like as we went into the gym. It was the back. He was leaving. He was going right into the locker room. And I saw the back of his uh, shaved head. <laughs> it was pretty cool. <laughs> so um, these workouts, like Ron would really run the majority of his own workouts. Um, I would assist him. And then at the same time of assisting him, I would also just, just absorb everything that he was doing, everything that he wanted to do. And, um, you know, just assist where I needed to. So those were the um those were the LA days a lot of workouts um, we did go to Vegas uh often 
and I, I think I went to Vegas often as well on my own, you know, but um, that whole off season was meant to really just keep him in shape as much as possible. And he ended up, he ended getting amnesty from the Lakers, I believe that year. He was amnesty from the Lakers. And then we basically had to go to the drawing board and figure out what's going to happen in the fall where he, he eventually went to New York. But um, that whole summer was, man, it was a blast. You know, I was, I got to train and work out with Ron Artest. I got to assist with a lot of player development coaches on the LA Lakers. Um, I got to talk and converse with, you know, staff, you know, of the Lakers and um, other players. We also would work out or like there were certain runs in the summer at the Los Angeles Clippers facility where only NBA players were allowed to go. So I would go in with them and then there would be times where they would need a fill-in person because they would only have nine guys or eight guys, et cetera. And um, I was, I had the opportunity to sort of fill in a few times to play basketball with the pros five on five. Um, I got the chance to assist with workouts during that time with the Clippers, other player development coaches, and um, just pick their brains, play with guys at the same time. It was um, it was a beautiful process. A lot of basketball, a lot of basketball. That's awesome. And so, are you, are you finished playing at this point, or you still have another year left, or what, what happens there? Um, my my college career is done far as like playing like I don't I don't want to play college no more you know I'm not really interested what really sparked the interest to sort of continue playing was when I was working out with at the Clippers facility and we needed to run five on five they needed a person to fill in so they said Ron can your guy fill in and he said yeah I think he yeah he should be able to play and then I think Matt Barnes or some other player was, uh, or it was Chris Humphrey. He said, yeah, you're a point guard, right? So yeah, we need a point guard. I said, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a point guard. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> I never played point guard in my life. I play center too. Whatever you need, man. <laughs> so I say, yeah, I'm point guard. Yeah. I got you. So I'm checking Brandon Jennings. I'm checking Darren Collison, et cetera. And, um, you know, the game goes for the, the first game, it goes shit. It's it's ridiculous. It's, second game goes shit. It's terrible. Excuse my language. It is terrible. And I'm very nervous, you know, when I'm playing with these guys at this time because NBA, you know, it's just a whole lot of things going through my head. And, you know, I'm missing the layup. You know, my, my shots are getting blocked off of the backboard. Um, I'm missing passes as I'm, you know, drifting or shifting to the corner and you know the ball go out of bounds it's just certain things weren't supposed to happen that the pro players see and say how do you even make that mistake like what are you doing basically what are you doing in here and you know Matt Barnes got so mad at me he screamed he said bleep hey. and we lost the game and we had to wait for another game to come on and that the next game comes on fast forward the next game comes on i stand up to sort of get back on with the same team and he tells me he said no sit down 
we got enough pros now, man. Hey, such and such, you fill in. Come over here and sat me down, man. It was, it was a, a big learning experience, you know. And you know, I felt like I felt that I let myself down because during that whole summer, I was I was playing pretty good, you know. I was playing with other pros and et cetera. It's just this one or two periods, you know, I I, I got nervous for some reason, and um, it just wasn't good. So mentally I took a break for about two weeks from playing at that facility and just really trying to get my head together as far as like when an opportunity presents itself you need to be ready to just be you and just play for you like there's nothing you need to prove to anybody you know the the gear that you have on the that the Lakers facility gave you because you were helping out and you know these Lakers shorts and these Lakers practice jerseys and these Lakers t-shirts and etc like I had all those things and then I felt really good you know to have it and I almost felt like it was armor that but it was armor that I didn't necessarily deserve or I guess it was armor that I didn't earn through playing for for that organization it was armor I earned from helping and assisting in player development etc but I had a you know, a, a confused complex right there with that. And I think that really affected my plan at some time because I was believing I was probably a different player than I really was. And I wasn't truly playing um, my game. So I threw all that stuff away in the garbage. And the next time I went to the facility at the Clippers, I had on the gear that I earned from playing in college or juco and i said i was only going to play if they needed someone to fill in and that day they needed somebody to fill in and of course matt barnes remembered me and when they put me on his team he said no you you go and no, actually he go over there <laughs> and um that game was probably the best games that i've ever had like far as playing against those pros and things like that it was one of my better games and um I didn't miss a shot I was locked in on defense you know I'm playing in juco red mesh shorts and I think it was like a, a a beater like a tank top it was nothing you know it didn't look like anything but a few players asked me after the end of the games because we won they said where did you play and um I said Glenville State and he said what is that I said, division two, you know, down in West Virginia. And then, you know, Matt Barnes, he shook his head. It's like, you know, some acknowledgement from there. It was like, good, you know, good game. That was good. And from there, you know, I earned my respect and stripes inside that facility. And like, when I would play, they would understand, you know, who I was. And I wasn't necessarily a scrub, you know. And um, that, to answer your question, was my playing days over. That was really what sparked my interest in other players saying, I think you need to be playing somewhere, man. I thought you played for a team here. Like, I thought you was at Sacramento. And, you know, that's Chris Humphrey says, Ryan, you should get this guy, your agent, man. This kid can shoot. Like, he's pretty good. You know, assistant coach over at Toronto Raptors said, you'd be a great sixth man. You know, Teron Lou, good job, young fella. You know, all of these things, like, were, you know, adding or aiding into, like, you should probably go pursue, you know, playing or, like, give it a shot. Um, I got invited to a couple of D-League workouts, D-League um, tryouts and things like that. 
those didn't pan out to be uh, an official invitation to the team. But I enjoyed my time doing it. And um, being between trainer or coach and then like a player, I was struggling with that with that battle because I'm working for Ron, but you know, should I be selfish enough to say, let me go try my plan thing. But then again, how am I going to get money? How am I going to work? Where, where am I going to get my money from? So I'm between those two. And with, with decisions like that, you got to be all in, you know, you got, you can't really 50, 50 that thing. And, um, you know, uh, the cards just wasn't in my, it wasn't, in my favor I, I didn't have any recent film only film I had was from college which was several years before that it's a two different type of players you know the agent contacted me and said I, I heard about you get out of here girl I see you um the agent contacted me and he said I heard about you do you have any film I said I have no film I said if you you can come see me play at the Clippers facility or or just get me a workout. Like, I don't need you to get me a job. I just need you to use your resources to tell this coach or whoever to say, take a look at this guy and let me know if he's something I should invest in. I'll get my own job if you get me a workout. I'll go take it. But um, I didn't necessarily have the, the film. I didn't have representation like that. And I just didn't have much guidance. Like those three things are like very key when you're trying to pursue that professional like route. And had I had a lot of this guidance to begin with film and just maturation, I think I, my plan opportunities will be a hundred percent different, like totally different than now. But um, I chose to just pursue a coaching and helping route. Like it was, it would have taken a lot of time and I didn't have the resources and I felt like playing with those players was a little bit of a self-fulfillment, you know, like being able to, to say that, yes, I can play with the top talent in the league. Yes. I can play with NBA guys. I'm good enough to do that. Like that's really what making the NBA for me would have done was to say, can you really do it? And yeah, I can play with the best guys. And at that time, I was playing with some of the best guys. You know, the Kevin Durant, Carmelo, DeMar DeRozan, Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, uh, J.J. Redick, Jimmer Friday, like, you name it, like, those guys are in the gym. And um, it was one of the best summers I've ever had, you know, because I felt like I was this close to making, like, if, if, the, if the cars laid out properly, I would definitely be a six man on the team or a seven man. I would, I would, I would be somewhere close to the NBA for sure. Absolutely. So, so this all wraps up and then you end up coming back to Vancouver um, and you end up starting G2. Tell us a little bit about yeah. uh, what brought you back to Vancouver and then what, what kind of like your thought process behind getting started with G2. Yeah. So coming back to Vancouver was, um, it was a big spark. My daughter was born in 2014. Um, I moved right away to China, you know, after she was born in September, 2014 to China. That's where Ron was stationed. Ron Artest was stationed there with the team. And, um, I would assist him and train him during his whole season during that time. But during that time, 
you know, I became a, a, a lot more mature as far as the process in which I organized his workouts, his curriculum, and just daily things as far as like film study. I didn't do that much film study, but we did watch some of the games and, you know, go over some of the things a little bit. Um, but I decided to take more of an active role in leading his workouts during that time in China. And he advised me, he said, you got to start your company. Like, you should start a company. And my question was, what do I need to start a company for? And he said, well, you, you want to build, like, you want to build a company. And when I pay you, that money goes into that company and you start to build up, you know, the value of your company. You know, when you work out with other clients in LA and stuff like that, they can pay your company. You got to start building, you know, your revenue streams and this and that. And he was giving me advice and, you know, a lot of guidance on that. So I said, all right, well, what should I call it? He said, well, just get a name. I'll help you build the website. You know, my people will help you build the website. Um, and, you know, just find a name. I said, I don't have a name. And he said, just call it G2. And I said, okay, well, I'll call it G2. And <laughs> literally that's, you know, it was a couple other things that factored into G2 and everything like that. But really, he just said, just call it that. Like, just pick something. And um, my daughter being born was also like, you know, I need to get back to, you know, Vancouver. I want to be more home with family and uh, my daughter. Simple as that. And I, I felt like I learned a lot from working with pros. And I felt my experience that I've... Um, my experience learned and experience had with professional industry experts um, could benefit a lot of younger athletes. And if we can give them the guidance and the experience earlier, then hopefully that if opportunity presents itself, they will be able to take advantage of it. You know, with, instead of having the opportunity to present itself and not being prepared for it, which was, I believe like, my case I, I wasn't prepared for playing with guys at the clippers facility i wasn't prepared with film or arranging an agent to come watch me scrimmage at the clippers but i didn't have any of that knowledge so if i can pass on what i've learned to younger guys earlier before they even get to college then i feel like um that would be a really good service you know um to give back and I reached out. No, I didn't reach out. A few people actually reached out to me from Vancouver because they knew I was, you know, from Vancouver. But I spent a lot of time in L.A. and working with Ron recently. So they said, hey, uh, here you're coming back. I would like you to help out at, you know, our gym sometimes. So would you like to help out coach? And I said, sure, I'll help coach. You know, um, Sautis invited me in for a couple of workouts. And other than that, like I reached out to several other programs to sort of offer what I wanted to do passionately. And I just never really got any response back. Like it, it didn't seem that like it was a, a big dire interest at the time. So ultimately it just ended up forcing me into sort of just creating it myself and just doing it myself. And then working with people that were interested, but for the most part, you know, um, it, there wasn't, there didn't seem to be many, many interest, many clubs or programs interested in like having me. Once I reached out, they didn't necessarily 
at least at that time, maybe it just wasn't a, a need in their program or they didn't see a, a value in it at that time. So, which is fine. I just wanted to do what I wanted to do passionately. So I just ended up doing it my own and I started the G2 training. And then I started working out with younger guys, individual workouts, you know, and just trying to transfer everything I've learned over the last few years working with pros. That's very cool. So then, so then what happens? You get, you get G2 going, how do we get into youth development and what's that like? What, give me like the, the thought process behind it. So with G2 training, my, my process was to build high quality workouts, like high intensity quality workouts. And the goal would be for most of the players coming to me at the time would be Um, have goals and be willing to put in the hours and be coachable. Yeah. Um, if I can find those three in a player, then I know I can help them get to whatever their next level is or whatever that goal is. And um, I started to put together certain curriculums that I've learned from working with other guys and pros and just building these high intensity workouts and being involved in the sport as much as possible at the same time, you know, using my, my youth at that, Time and still currently using my youth to sort of be right beside that player, whether it's playing against them, uh, doing the drills, being involved with the demonstrations and just showing them that, you know, I'm a younger guy as well. Like I'm an athlete as well. And I want to help you in your athlete, you know, roles. So <clears throat> building that, that youth program was really just trying to provide as much quality to as many people as possible and do it efficiently. So I took the quality over quantity approach and I restricted workouts to certain sizes to make sure that the information I was given wouldn't just go one ear and out the other because my information wasn't basic. I felt that it was a little bit more in depth. It was detailed and um, I believe more effective with smaller groups. If, if I'm doing this, workout with 40 people, there's probably 25 people who can't hear me clearly, you know, if I'm doing this by myself. So I wanted to build a youth program that was quality over quantity, you know, to start out with and then um, share experience and then share these workouts that I believe can help them in their goals where I was making high school teams. You know, if you got cut from a team the previous year, what can we do to improve your game? so that next year you can actually approach that trial a lot differently. Um, guys that have made the team, but they struggled in certain areas on the court or struggle, struggle with um, certain responsibilities that the coach gave them. How can we work on that so that next year your minutes aren't, your minutes are more increased because you now can handle, you know, the defensive assignment or, you know, you can handle rotation through offense and understanding when to get back, when to box out, you know, when to share the ball and et cetera. So um, that became the goal is how to help each player improve, regardless of their skill level, regardless of the situation. There's ways we can definitely improve your game. Absolutely. Last question of the day. Um, give us, you know, a tip that you got for kids right now that are, that are working out uh in during the COVID time give me a tip for them so that they can make sure that they get better right now as opposed to just kind of letting it slip 
before they get the world gets back to normal. So like, what's your, what's your tip for right now? If you were a player, what would you tell somebody? I would tell, you know, uh, a few players in different age groups, different things. Um, for as for the most part, I would tell them to watch and study film. I would, and, and if you don't know how to study film, then pick a film on YouTube or something like that and let it be a part of your favorite move or whatever you enjoy doing the most. If, if you like shooting the ball, if you like coming off ball screens, if you like driving to the basket, YouTube those things and then try to find several videos and and watch them. Then try to see the similarities between several different players. And even though these are different players, do they do the same thing when they're doing that drive? You know, how do they come off of that screen? Or how do they use that ball screen? What are some common denominators, you know, far as driving, you know, far as contact, far as the work done before you even receive the ball? You know, try to start to understand uh, the game from a visual perspective, from outside looking in, and just see what you can actually, where your, you know, your process is, where your brain process is, where your mentality is, and just see how you put the game together. Because that may, you know, if you, they may not know it, but if they're able to dissect something, or if they're not able to, it'll determine, you know, an area in the game that they probably need to improve. Because you just learn so much more from that, from watching film, I believe. As you get older, it becomes way more relevant. So younger guys, they may not understand it. They don't necessarily need to look into it that in depth, but I will still encourage them to watch as much film as possible, just so that they can start to see similarities. You know, um, film study would be my, my goal. Other than that, stay in shape, run, you know, conditioning is very important. Even if you can't shoot the basketball, that is a fundamental thing that you can you can get. Conditioning will keep you off of the court. It'll keep you from producing. No matter how good you are, if you're not in shape and you can only run up the court for two, three minutes, guess what? You're going to need a sub, and then you're a good player sitting on the bench. So it doesn't matter. Conditioning would be the, the key thing to do during COVID is try to maintain your conditioning. And as you know, like, you know a lot of kids are like, oh, I ran 5K today. It's like, when are we going to run 5K in a basketball game? Get out there and do some sprints. Get in a field. Mm -hmm. Get get to a track. Let's see if you can sprint. <clears throat> this is not a – we're not going long distance running here, guys. Let's get mm -hmm. out. Let's sprint a little bit. Because I think that's totally true. I think those are two fantastic tips. Talk a little bit more about uh, – let, let's just circle back two seconds about, about film study. Yeah. What, what specifically – um, got you going with that and why and why do you like it so much because I, I think that's a fantastic tip I, I haven't heard too many people give me that suggestion but I think it's fantastic go ahead the film study you know I got more into film study you know working with Drew Hanlon um, Drew Hanlon is one of my mentors uh, he's one of the top NBA skill and player development coaches uh, currently and I didn't necessarily know how to study film so working with Drew and then talking with him there was a couple of tips and, you know, he, we broke down film together and um, that's where it started. So like, let me see, how am I going? Where am I going? This? What's, repeat the question again. I want to make sure I answer it directly without getting 
lost in track. No, I mean realistically, just how how do you how do, what what would be something you would recommend for people watching the film? Like, how did that get started with you, and and, and what 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 do you think it really makes a difference for? It? Oh, so film study makes a, a a big difference in like how you understand the game, and when you're watching film, don't always watch the ball. You like you sort of pick the film apart. You don't need to watch play by play by play by play. You don't have to study film in that type of manner. And you don't also have to study film where, wherever the ball is because there's certain things going on behind the scenes and away from the ball that'll help you understand where the next play will be. So if you can understand where the next play will be, then you're gonna be one step ahead of the defense, one step ahead of the other team. So watching the ball sometimes takes away from that, takes away from that study point. So I, I try to encourage, you know, when people watch and film, you can watch some basketball, like when the ball is in hand, depending on what you're watching, you know, and um, there's also good moments to watch other areas, off ball movements and, you know, what's going on. The ball is going to Kyrie Irving. What is Kyrie Irving doing before he gets the ball? So you can't know what Kyrie Irving is doing before he gets the ball unless you're watching Kyrie Kyrie Irving when he doesn't have the ball. So if we're always watching ball and then we just see a guy pass the ball to Kyrie Irving and he gets a shot. Well, how did Kyrie Irving get open for that shot? Or how was he able to free himself up? So film study will definitely help you break the game down. It, I think it helps the mentality and like your mental part of the game slow the game down a lot. Like you don't necessarily have to be a speedy, speedy person. And if that's not your strength, if you're not super fast and quick, then you need to be quicker by basically freeing yourself up before the defense gets to you. So what can you do before you get the ball to give yourself some 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 gap space or you know some catch time and things like that? Um, for me, it's been uh, a good tool for me to use with some of the pro athletes during COVID. Like we've watched film and then we go over their game film that they struggled with. And then we also go over their, their good film and, you know, note out some good things that they need to continue to do more of. And then we look at the, the parts where they can improve and say, this is an area that's probably keeping you off the court, or this is an area where, you know, you, you struggle with, but if you're going to be playing at four or five, you need to get stronger in this area because you're missing some box outs, you know, you're missing some, some good screens. And if you can't free up the guard to get his shot, what make you think he's going to hit you on a pick and roll if you can't really get him a good screen, you know? So no, I think that's study is, uh, is, is key. I think it's the next level. I, I think, I think this has been fantastic. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, you know, a lot of information. The thing I got the most from this is your, the, the path to, to, to your finish line isn't always a straight line. It's got to go all over the place. But as long as you stay focused and you're open to the process, you can eventually get to where you need to be. And, and uh, I appreciate you coming on today. And it's fantastic. Thank you so much, Gabe. No worries. Thank you for having me. I hope, uh, hope the information goes a long way and someone else can learn from it. And uh, we can share some similarities and understanding down the road. Awesome.